It is good to welcome you here this morning. Thank you for coming out and worshiping with us today. I hope we, uh, we had a visitation the last service. A couple speakers kind of did their own thing back there until we were able to get it isolated. So hopefully we do have that, uh, we do have that isolated, figured out. It is good to be back with you after being out of the pulpit for a couple weeks. Chris did a really nice job a couple weeks ago filling in, and then last week we had our L.A. group here, and that was a very powerful time, moving of the Holy Spirit. So it's going to be tough to follow those two, but we will uh, we'll do our best. There have been it's, this whole journey from the fire on May 15th until right now, until today, it has been quite an amazing journey. There have been many, many miracles, in my opinion. I can't explain them any other way. One that happened a couple of weeks ago, I will share with you a couple of them uh, specifically. We, uh, we had a group coming from L.A., about 16 people, three children, and the rest adults. It's a group that we go down and work with when we were in L.A., and when the, the church burned, uh, they offered to come up and help us at some point in time. And so we settled on this particular date, 5th through the 9th or whatever, in October. And so in the preparation for them coming to help us build uh, portables, I, I got a small crew together and we started working on the first couple. So we could have a prototype. So I had somebody that was able to lead uh, a, a number of volunteers when they, when they arrived. And... Uh, so we got the floor down on a couple of them, got the walls up on one of them. That's what you saw a couple of weeks ago on Sunday. And then on Monday, that Monday, we started working on the, the rafters and the ceiling, joists and all of that. And because there was so much lumber to go in there, because there were so many cuts, because everything was so uh, custom as well as the design of it, you literally, I think, could drive a tank on that one shed and uh, it would support it. So, but anyway, so on Monday we started working on the roof, a couple of my main carpenters, and on Tuesday they finally finished it. Well, we had five more to go. The team from L.A. was due in about two days, and so we're going, boy, we're going to be in a mess if we don't, if we can't speed this process up. I figured one thing we could set up and build our own trusses, but we didn't really want to do that, so I called the trust company just thinking, hopefully, well, maybe the economy's turned there and maybe they they'll, could get us something in a hurry. And uh, called and talked to the salesman I usually visit with, and he said, well, Phil, we're out six weeks, which is what I expect, six to 14 weeks, typically. In the meantime, Mitch contacted the owner because he had done business with her when he was a, uh, when he was a brand inspector, so he talks to her, and they... Uh, they're wanting to help us, but 16, or six weeks is not going to help. Our crew will be here, they'll have nothing to do, and they'll turn around and go back, and that won't work. So we keep negotiating back and forth, and they, they finally say, we can get you trusses on Monday. Can't do Monday. We're going to be, uh, my crew's going to, they're going to be here and gone. So Monday won't work. So they go back and they talk back and forth. I'm talking to the sales rep. Mitch is talking to the owner. They're texting back and forth. And, and they come back and say, well, we'll, uh, we'll get them for you Friday. 
Now our team's going to be here to work Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Well, what my experience is, Friday means Friday maybe five o'clock, which means we got to put up, we've got to put up trusses and insulate and roof that, and we had a few hours on Saturday or maybe Friday night. So I go, well, if you can do it Friday morning, if you can get them here Friday morning, we'll do it. And they, uh, they said, okay, we'll get them for you Friday morning. And they, so this is like two days, three days later. So they, uh, they call me Wednesday morning to say, we're, we're, give me a quote on what it's going to cost. And they have, uh, they're starting to cut the material to build those trusses. And Thursday morning at 10 o'clock, 55 trusses roll in. Now, we're not only not six weeks out, we're not even Friday afternoon or even Friday morning. This is Thursday morning. And I've been, I've been building for 40 or 50 years, and I've never had an experience like that. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you, Lord. And, he had the, and there's been just one experience, in, in my opinion, a miracle like that after another. And I'll, I'll share a couple more as we, a little later. And another one, I suppose, on Thursday, we're in here having lunch. And Rose and Michelle and Sheila are at a table. And I'm wanting to mix things up as much as possible. So I go over and sit down with them and, and get more acquainted with them. Uh, I met Rose, and you had heard her testimony last summer uh, about her experiences. Uh, Michelle, I'd met Michelle previously, but we were talking, and, and this is the first time I'd met Sheila. And we're talking, well, what do you do? You know, what, what, you know what, what's important to you in your life? What do you do? And we kind of went around the circle, and, uh, and Sheila was sharing how she'd recently pa uh, talked to Pastor Terrence. She's had a vision of being a, uh, a missionary, but a missionary who's involved in aviation. She's had this, this vision for her whole life. In the meantime, she raised five children, most of that time being a single mom, or sometime at least after the fifth child, and really pretty much had lost this. She, she does have, I think she has a, a, her private pilot license, but uh, given up any hope of being a commercial pilot. And, uh, and she was sharing with me, in fact, she shared her testimony here last week when I said, well, you know, Sheila, well, you know, Sheila, there is, there is uh, this missionary organization, Mission Aviation Fellowship, that is relocated to Idaho about 15 years ago from Southern California, started by uh, individuals like Nate Saint and Jim Elliott, who are pioneers. They literally came back from World War II, had a passion for sharing the gospel to the lost tribes in South America and in Africa. And so they started this whole ministry. And I said in that, uh, they have a big office over here in, uh, in Nampa. And uh, she got, uh, that's her home base now. And so Sheila gets all excited about that. And next morning I call Mission Aviation Fellowship and, uh, or that later that day to see if they would schedule a tour for Rose and Michelle and Sheila. They said, well, we don't have anybody on 
for that day, for, for Friday. But uh, let, me, uh, uh, let me see what I can do. And so Gene made some calls, called me back, and apparently uh, he was able to find somebody that would, that would do that. And kind of the rest is, uh, is history. They had a wonderful experience. They had the perfect guide, the perfect tour guide. And Sheila came back all excited about the possibility of fulfilling this lifelong dream. And they laid out a plan for her and laid out how you can go about getting the training and doing that. And as we, as Sheila got, as we sat at the table and Sheila got all excited, then Rose and Michelle are going, well, what about us? What about us? Help me understand what my purpose is. Help me understand what my calling is. And that leads me to what I want to visit with you about today. You know, what is your life purpose? What is your life purpose? What are your bents? What has God created you for? And that in general, but specifically... What was your body created for? What did God create you to do, to be involved in, to serve, to work, to play? What did he create your body for? Over in Psalm 48, I was reading Psalm 49, actually, I guess it is. In Psalm 49, the psalmist says, for all can see that wise men die, especially having to do with our bodies and what we do with our bodies. The foolish and the senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. But man, despite his riches, does not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. Like sheep, they are destined for the grave, and the death will feed on them. The upright will rule over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave, far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. Do not be overawed when a man grows rich, when the splendor of his house increases. For he will take nothing with him when he dies. His splendor will not descend with him. Though while he lived, he counted himself blessed. And men praise, praise you when you prosper. He will join the generation of his fathers who will never see the light of life. A man who has riches without understanding is like the beasts that perish. So, what were you created for? What is your life purpose generally? And what was your body made for? Now, we have a philosophy all around us. We hear it in politics right now. It's going to come up in the, in the midterms. And it's going to play a role in it. What is your body for? My body is my own body. I can do with it as I want. And for the believer, I suppose, to a certain extent, that is certainly true. But Jesus cautions against the philosophy, what he calls gaining the whole world, but what good does it do if you lose your soul or if, if your body as it goes is the way we read there in Psalms? The Corinthians, who we've been looking at, came with a, a similar philosophy to what we have all around us today. 
It is my body, I can do with it as I want. It's my body, it is made for my pleasure. And their thinking was, is because the body doesn't matter. The matter that makes up this world is evil. So my body can participate in anything that it wants. It is the spirit and the soul that are special. And today's philosophy is along those same lines, although probably does not believe in a soul or a spirit in the first place. We're animals. So grab for all that life has to offer, especially in love, and then followed by money or pleasure or experiences. This is what we get from the philosophy of, of evolution, where we just, we rose through the animal world, we're just another one of the animals. But Paul says there's one thing you do not understand. You do not understand, he says, that you are not your own. That your body is not your body. He goes on to say you have been bought and paid for. Your body has been bought and paid for at a tremendous price if you are a believer. If you're not a believer, then anything goes. Frankly, the non-believer's problem is not what they do with their body. It is not sex, drinking, smoking, or anything they do with the body. It's what they do with their soul or their spirit. But for the believer who's made, accepted Jesus Christ, who's made that decision, the body also then at that point becomes much more special. Much more special. So today, Finding what our bodies were made for. Finding what our bodies were made for. And Paul tells us and outlines it very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And it's amazing as I looked at this how there's things that, that I've heard for many, many years and they just did not ha have the same impact or meaning as they did as I've been literally dwelling on this for the last two or three weeks. So by way of background, I will start in second in First Corinthians, excuse me, First Corinthians six, verse nine. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, or drunkards, or slanders, or swindlers will inherit the they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. That's what some of us were before we came to know the Lord. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So as believers, we are different. We were once like the world, but now we are different. And as a result, we're supposed to behave and think differently. And so, the, well, I put the four, the four key purposes for your body, and then I listed five. So you're going to get a little extra credit there. So it's probably more like the five key purposes for the body. And purpose number one is do not allow anything in your body or in your life that masters you. Do not allow anything in your life or your body that masters you or your mind. Verse 12, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything Paul writes. Now, we are free as Christians. We're the most free people in the world. 
And apparently Paul had shared that philosophy with, with the Corinthians, as he pretty much had with everyone in his writings. You are free. We're not, we don't, our relationship with God is not based on a list of do's and don'ts. We have freedom in Christ. We've been, we've been released from the, the shackles of the law. But Paul says, although we are free, although I am free, do not give yourself, he says, I will not allow myself, I will not give myself to anything that masters me. And that's his admonition to us. Do not give yourself to anything that would master you. Anything that you could not easily quit if you wanted to. Illicit sex, drugs, alcohol, tobacco, pornography, greed, gossip, too much work, gluttony, pleasure, laziness, pride, criticism, whatever it is. Whatever it is that people become addicted to that control people, Paul says don't allow that in your body. You're free to do anything that Jesus says not to do, but anything that masters you, resist. Paul said, don't allow anything in your life to master you. Get rid of it. And then he illustrates in verse 13, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. There's so many foods that I like. The major food groups of chocolate, and sugar, and whatever else, and dessert, whatever else those food groups are make up. I love chocolate, I love beef. Aren't you glad we're allowed to eat pork, that we're not restricted in that area? So many good cuts of that. Poultry, desserts, even once in a while a salad is good. We are told not to get attached to excess anything, including food. He says, yes, food is made for the stomach, the stomach is made for food, because they're going to go on to say, well, if that's the case, then we're also designed for sex. So eat what I want, do whatever else I want with my body. He's, he's making the point that that may be the case right now. Someday we're, we're not even going to have stomachs, so we're not even going to need food. I know there is a wedding feast in heaven, but Paul also says at some point we'll no longer need food or have stomachs. And now he switches gears, though. Here we need and have our food, we have our mouth, we have our stomach. They're necessary for this life. But he's saying don't overdo it. Previously in verse 9, he listed those who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now he comes down very forceful and truthful regarding a common misconception. Although we have all this freedom as believers, those in Corinth were taking it further and saying, yes, so I can eat to satisfy my stomach. I can also enjoy sex to satisfy that urge. We can have all the sex we want anytime, any place. They lived in a place where there were a thousand prostitutes that had a temple up on the hill. And at night they would come down and ply their wares in town. They felt like it is my body. I can do with it whatever I want. Don't allow anything into the First of all, your body is not intended for you to allow anything to come into it that will master it. Number two, the body is meant for the Lord. Back to verse 13. The body is not meant 
for sexual immorality. Food, food for the stomach, the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So number two, the body is meant for the Lord. Your body was created so that the Lord might dwell in your body with you. He made your body to be his dwelling place. Yes, very cool. It was not meant for any of these other purposes and the way that we abuse it. It was made for him to dwell in it with you. Verse 14. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. So there's a wonderful assurance of hope, a new resurrected body. The other day, Ryan was sharing with me out at his house that uh, he wants to die right there in his house and he wants his ashes to be scattered over his koi pond. I suggested, well, let's save a step and just roll you in there when you go to heaven and let the koi take care of the rest. That would be better than ashes, wouldn't it? You ever wondered at all, let your mind go, how in the world uh, is the Lord going to quicken this old body? Maybe in some cases, people who died 2,000 years ago, I mean, they're probably just nothing but dust right now. Or in other cases, maybe those who've uh, died at sea or died in the wilderness or something, and... Uh, and the, the nature kind of took care of their bodies. How is God going to gather all that back up? But once again, remember, he's only, this, is a, this body is a seed. What he's going, our new body is going to be look, like is much different than the seed. And I know that's silly thinking, but, uh, and I know the, the truth of the matter is, in the end, he's God. He's God, so he can do it. He's going to be able to do it. How many of you here, sure, raise a hand, believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? I do too. And he says, just like he did that, he's going to raise you from the dead as well. Verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? So number two, our body is meant for the Lord. Number three, our bodies are members of Christ, so only use your body in ways pleasing to Christ. Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Of course not. Christ wouldn't do that, but Christ is, he's telling the Corinthians, look, you used to behave like that. You're not like that anymore. Christ now lives in you. Prostitutes are still coming down off of the hill. You still have your needs and your urges. But don't be doing, don't be now taking that body that Christ is dwelling in with you and uniting it with a prostitute. Whatever we are engaging in with our bodies, with our minds as well, we are now engaging Christ in that activity. And Paul cries out, never, never. Can you imagine that? Paul cries out that he can hardly imagine such a thing. And that's going to be a problem. If we as Christians, who have the Spirit of God living in us, who have Christ living in us, have the Holy Spirit living in us, if we, continue, if we do the things that the non-believers are doing with their bodies, 
it's going to be a big problem. Down to verse 18. Well, let's read. Let's go. Let's go with verse 16. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you and whom you have received? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So number four is flee sexual immorality. Flee sexual immorality. Use your legs, use your body, and run away. Get out of there. Don't try to resist it. You can't. Run. Just run. He goes on to say that all other sins are outside the body. But sexual immorality is a sin against the body. Now certainly other sins affect the body in a negative way. Drink too much. Smoke in excess. Overeat. All these things are going to result in hurting our bodies. But sexual immorality is different. First of all, because it involves two people. The two have become one, as Jesus said. As, as God said back in the garden, the two will become one flesh. I had a friend a number of years ago, he was a Christian. He'd given up a lot. He'd come out of a very rough lifestyle. But sex still had a strong grip on him. He's like the Corinthians. They, they came to the Lord, but their flesh came as well. And they couldn't get a grip on this. This, this friend was married, and then he ran off with a wife of a non-Christian friend of mine. Well, the second friend had two teenage daughters, and they were both becoming very, fairly active in the youth group at that time. But when their mom ran off with my friend, that was the end of that. So one day, this my Christian friend, we met in church. The Lord had impressed on my heart to speak to him about his behavior. And I said to the Lord, you've got to be kidding. He wasn't the kind of guy that you mess with. He came out of a, a rough situation in the world. And the second thing that I said to the Lord, and I'm not used to necessarily dictating to the Lord, but maybe I put it differently, but I pretty much was, okay, if that's what you want, Lord, you've got to make it clear. You have to set it up. So shortly after this, this individual and I happened to be sitting upstairs in the old balcony at the church and I and and up up there when you come down the stairs into the balcony there were pews on each side and they were right up against the wall and I was on one side right up against the wall and he came in and sat down right next to me on the aisle well there's only two ways out of that of, of that situation and one was by him and the other way would have been over the balcony after the service, I asked him, how are you doing? And he said, oh, the Lord is getting me through it. I said, well, it doesn't work that way. And we went on to share, he had already shared with me, hey, it's only sex. It all washes off. He thought like the Corinthians and the Americans today. It's just sex. It all washes off. Wait a minute. When I've had sex with that person, I'm uniting Christ with that person. Paul says, never, never. It doesn't just wash off. 
This is a sin against your own body. Christ is in you. You are not your own. I didn't tell him all that at that time. I thought he was going to throw me over the balcony as it was. He left, never came back, told people I'd kicked him out of the church. He became, later, he became very ill, suffered a serious accident and died prematurely. He continued to sin against his own body. As Paul wrote in Romans, they received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. It's an interesting case study if you'd like to read it sometime and go back and look at the outbreak of AIDS in the world in the 1980s. You're going to receive in your body the penalty for sexual immorality. Now, yes, it can all be forgiven. Yes, it can all be forgiven. But there still may be natural consequences going with it. Number four, flee sexual immorality. Run away from it. Run away from it. And number five, honor God with your body. Verse 20, you are bought at a price. What is that price? The blood of Jesus Christ. You are bought at a price. That's a high price. You are, I was reading another psalm. You know, what, how much does it cost to redeem a person? There's not enough money and wealth and riches in all the world to save one soul. It took the blood, which we just celebrated in communion, it took the body and the blood of the Son of God in order to buy you. You are bought at a price. I am bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, I'm not holier than anyone here. I'm a sinner. I'm guilty. I'm forgiven. With a new and special reminder here that Christ dwells in me. And in the past five months, it has been an incredible experience, as I've already shared. Seeing the Lord work through me, work through many of you, work through all of you, in bringing about some incredible things. Penny mentioned what a powerful and moving experience last Sunday was, as we had the L.A. group here see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit all week. It was almost then literally almost unprecedented for me the whole week. Becky Wood has been talking about memorials and miracles and remembrances of this journey the past five months. And all last week was, was a miracle. Well, two weeks ago was a miracle. This last week was another one. And I want to share another one with you in particular. Gwen Brown, who also is one of the, the other individuals we work with in LA she and her her husband Joe run Faith in Christ Ministries down on Southwestern Avenue kind of down in the heart of where the Rodney King riots were a number of years ago and they're right in the heart of it down there and they're in their 80s and and it's it's very difficult for them but Gwen called me this week and she said she wanted Terrence's phone number because Somebody had contacted her, and they have a bunch of what they call carpet squares, squares of carpet to give away. And I said, well, we can use some of those. And uh, 
So I said, tell him, I'd, I'd be happy to use those. So somebody calls me later that week. One of those calls, you know, you don't want to answer because you know that it's, it's uh, not legit. But I, I answered the phone and uh, can't remember her name right now. But she said, I hear you could use some, I hear you'd use some uh, carpet tile. And uh, I, I said, yes. And she says, how many? I said, can you use a semi-load? She said, do you have a heiser? Do you have a, a warehouse? Do you have a jack to get the, to get the pallets to the back of the, the trailer? Yeah, 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 we can do that. Well, how many do you want? I'll take two semi-loads. And so she said, okay, what's your address? 118 West Idaho. So she's writing that down. And I go, do you know we're in Idaho? You're in Illinois? No, we're in Idaho. You're in Iowa? No, we're in Idaho. There aren't roads that go to Idaho, are there? Yeah, there's one. You can go the long way, but there's a short way too. So I explained to her I'm in Idaho, and I know she's in L.A., and so she uh, says, well, let me do some checking. So apparently she is, she is part of an organization that the state of California pays to refurbish and reclaim uh, materials so they don't just have to go to the landfill or just be thrown away. Well, apparently this floor tile was used three days in an exhibition and then was pulled up and palletized. And we're getting two semi-loads. And the state of California is paying for the freight to bring those out here. And I'm sure we can use them out here. And probably I talked to our architect. I said, what do you feel about those? He said, I love those things. He says, yeah, we'll, uh, he says, send us a swatch when you get them and we'll... Uh, and we'll check. And maybe if you, if you need something for your house, I got two semi-loads. So uh, I, figured, I figured one semi-load is probably about $75,000 worth of carpet to us if we were to use it throughout, throughout this building that's coming up. So it's just every day, every day, there's something that the Lord is just something that I didn't go looking for. I didn't expect. The Lord just presents it. And as I said, I am no one special, and I'm not doing anything special except trying to do what God wants and remembering Christ in me, Christ in you. Now, I did something last week. I prayed for patience. Now, for me, I've never done that since I learned where patience comes from. You get patience through trial and tribulations. But I knew in this process, with all the miracles that are happening, because I will tell you what, for every miracle, there is an opposite and equal headache or pain someplace. And so I prayed for patience. And, uh, you know, we, ha we have these, we're here, we have these, these bodies to use to honor God. And when it works, it's a great thing. But so many things... Get in there to interfere with, with that, with, with God really being able to work through us. The sexual immorality interferes with that happening. Are you going to honor God with your body, with what, with what comes out of your mouth, with what you think about, with what you hear, with what you look at, with the things that you pursue, with the goals you have, with your purposes, with what you listen to, with what you, with what you touch, so how do, we, how do we honor God? How do we get in that position? Well, as I said, I prayed for patience. 
last week. And yesterday was what we called Firewood Saturday. We have some fire, little firewood scattered over here in a pile. We got some out here. And we need to get it all gathered up because winter will be here before long. So we'd set this day aside when we looked at the calendar and thought, wow, the first week uh, we have uh, the L.A. crew coming in. The next week we have uh, the architect coming in. So we, uh, this was the day that, that we were going to do it. So Mitch got one of the tractors rigged up for me with the loader on it. Got down there, scooped up one load, took it down, dumped it, put that away, went back to get the second load. That load cost me $843. I ran over something that was in the field in the way, and, and I heard it when it hit that tire, and the, the tractor just goes down like that. But I had prayed for patience, number one. And, uh, and I was really aware of this idea that Christ lives in me. This is Christ's body. My big problem comes when I try to call the shots. You know, there's an old idea that maybe, maybe I'm the pilot and God's a co-pilot. Well, that, that just wrecks the plane. So, okay, okay, God, so you're in control. You're dwelling in me. Just cost you 843 bucks, Lord. It's your money. It isn't my money. So then I go try to get the four-wheeler going so I can use a trailer on it with it. It won't go either. I prayed for patience. It's the Lord's body. I'm just going to do whatever he chooses on this day at least. Do whatever he chooses. There was no losing my lead dog. I, Mitch used to accuse me of going Coco the monkey. If you have any experience with Seinfeld, you know that that's when George Costanza, he just starts waving his arms and he's upset and... I have done that at some point in time in the past. I'm ashamed, I'm ashamed to admit. But not yesterday. Okay, Lord, this is your body. This is your body. And it's your 843 bucks. So whatever, however you want to handle all this, it's up to you. As I said so much in the past, it's, it's my body. And I, and I don't want to yield. I don't want to give in to God. But as I looked at this, as I reflected on this, these verses meant a whole lot more to me perhaps than ever before. It's your body, God. It's your body. And as we talked about in Sunday school class, I tell you what, I enjoy it a lot more, my life a lot more, when it's the fruit of the Spirit that's coming out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. I like that. And I like that when I yield and the Spirit has His way as opposed to the sinful nature, my old nature that wants to have control. Paul is telling the Corinthians, just because you used to do it, because you like to do it, because you want to do it, that isn't how you are anymore. That's not who you are anymore. You're new. You've been bought at a price. So honor God with your body. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the tremendous reminder this week. I thank you, Father, for these words that I've known for 40 years, and they mean a lot more today than they ever did before. Father, you have something to say to every one of us in this room today. 
I want to speak to each one of us, and I have no idea who's dealing with what, but you, you know. And if we will choose to allow you to live in us your way and choose to honor you with our bodies, I think we're going to see an adventure and a life that we only dream possible Amen. become a reality in our lives. Father, help us to yield to you, yield to your spirit, realize that it is you living through us. We love you and we thank you and thank you for these truths. Thank you, Father, that your son came in the world and died for me and paid that great, great price. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.